One of my favorite memories uh, growing up, of course, at, at, at the time, it wasn't necessarily my favorite, but my dad now graduated to heaven, and, and I often think about dinner time with dad, dinner time around the table, and that was, <clears throat> at least in our home, it was a pretty regular basis, and I know the world's changing, and times are getting faster, but um, we'd sit around the table, and we'd just talk. And uh, one rule we had is no one could talk over another person. That was kind of rules of engagement. So if Wendy was talking, we listened. And then if mom started talking or dad started talking, it was at that table where I learned so much about life, learned so much about being a man, learned so much about uh, being a follower of Jesus. And so I thought it would be fun today if um, I asked my wife to join me, and we literally did um, a live, now a lot of people call them Q&As, uh, I like to call them Q&Rs because I may not have the answer, but I always got a response. So um, today is going to be twofold. Chelsea and I will share um, scripture, of course, and we'll anchor these moments in the fact that Jesus has changed my life. And if you're new to this space and not sure what you think about Jesus, you're going to find out real quick. We're one of those communities that believe Jesus is God and that he took our place, that is, he took our punishment for our error, our wrong, and our sin, and that the purpose and meaning of life all um, culminates in Jesus, and that he is the savior of our soul, and that we follow him every day. That doesn't mean that's what you have to believe, but even in this Q and R, um, you're going to hear that coming out of our heart. At the same time, you're going to hear a little bit of probably our take and opinion on family life, dynamics, and so Uh, I'm really, really excited. I want to remind you, just by way of framing this Q&R, what God's original, um, how should I say, environment for your soul. And and I suppose in moments like this, the Q&Rs can kind of get wonky sometimes, or it's like, hey, this doesn't relate to me. But the big idea behind having this, literally, it's going to be live. We're going to give you a number where you can text in, I think, Billy is going to be getting, or Colby is, yeah, Colbster is going to, Pastor Colby, I call him Colbster, that's disrespectful. Colby is uh, going to be taking the questions. But can I show a couple of scriptures to you in the book of Genesis? And, um, and then the band is going to join. That's such a cool hat, man. Such a cool hat. Have we ever met before? We've never met. What's your name? Archero. That is a cool name. My name's Judah. Love you. Thanks for joining us. Man, what a cool drummer. You know what I mean? I mean, if you want to be anything, you want to be a cool drummer with a cool hat, don't you? I mean, that is amazing. Happy Father's Day. So, the, uh, the original environment that God describes for us is, of course, uh, many of us would know, is called the Garden of Eden. And it's in this garden that we can make four observations of Uh, what makes our soul healthy and thriving. Of course, the Garden of Eden, uh, pre-sin, pre-Adam and Eve choosing their own way, is its utopia. It's absolute perfection. And it's from here we can extrapolate what are the four elements that are important for us to take notice of so that our soul, remember your soul is who you really are. Your soul is your eternal self. Your soul is the real you. Again, it's the eternal Part of you. And a lot of people wonder, what, you know, can you describe the soul? Much has been made of it. Is it mind? Is it will? Is it emotions? Um, it is the essence of who you are. And I think we can all conclude that when your soul is not healthy, somehow you just know. 
You ever had that just like, you, you might be physically fit, uh, things might be going well in your career, family life might be pretty good, but on the inside you know you're not healthy. And one of our passions at Church Home is that each and every one of us, each and every one of us would have a healthy soul. Notice the first description of the Garden of Eden. It says that the trees were pleasant to the sight and good for food. Do you know this is the first description of the Garden of Eden? Which tells us that, first of all, God invented pleasure. And you're going to really like this one. He invented good food, not just food. How many know God's into good food? How many know bad food is just, it's not okay. Good food, right? Gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, fun-free. <laughs> Aunt Marlene's like, no, that is not how I raise my boys. Um, but good food. God likes good food. God invented, buckle your seatbelts, sex. What? Wow, right? Crazy, right? God is, wants us to enjoy the goodness of life. That's the very first description of the Garden of Eden, which leads me to believe that God, the optimal environment for our soul, starts with number one, rest. That is enjoying life. That is having good food and building in margin to your life. So we could spend time talking about rest. The next description that I want to draw your attention to of the Garden of Eden, it says the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to, notice, to work it and keep it. Work it and keep it. Your soul needs rest, but you know your soul also needs responsibility. You need to work it and keep it. Hey, what has God put in your hand? Can I remind you, work it and keep it. And by the way, don't work and keep what he didn't put in your hand. Work and keep, even if it's just one thing that he put in your hand, how many know, work it. Work what the good Lord gave you. I'm going to get you going on Father's Day. I tell you what. Work it and keep it. By the way, that's good for your soul. When God gives you responsibility over something and you don't work it and you don't keep it, you will notice that will affect your soul adversely. It is good for us to work hard and work well. Going on, it says in Genesis 2.17, the Lord uh, uh, gave a restriction. That the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat it, you shall surely die. Now quickly notice, God stacks the odds in our favor. How many trees are in this orchard? How many trees are in this garden? We could probably conclude thousands, maybe tens of thousands, and there is only one that Adam and Eve cannot eat. Why? Why is that? Because evidently, it is good for your soul to have restriction. It is good for your soul to say no. You, you, you remember growing up when you were a kid, you're like, I'm going to have candy every day when I grow up. I'm going to have ice cream. Every, I'm going to watch a movie every day. And then you grow up and you realize if you do, you're not going to like what you see in the mirror. Right? And so eventually, it's called maturation. You say no. You could have candy, but you say no. I call it the necessary no. It's imperative for your soul that at times things you could say yes to, you say no to. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. So there's times you just need to say no. Now, I could have another bite, but no. I don't know why I'm picking on, on our diets here, but, but, but no. I could go to McDonald's, but no. I shouldn't say that. One time I got an email from an owner of McDonald's, and they were like, one of the local owners, and he's like, hey, you keep dogging McDonald's, that's my livelihood. And I was like, I love Big Macs. That's what I wrote back. <clears throat> and lastly, who doesn't love a Big Mac? You know, do you also hate oxygen? You know? And 
Genesis 2.18. I can hear my wife right now like, let's get the Q&A started, buddy. Um, so, so there's rest, there's responsibility, there's restriction. I know this sounds funny, but I, I check these four areas consistently for my, own, for my own health. Am I resting well? Am I working it and keeping it? How, how, how am I actually doing in terms of saying no to things? And then lastly, it's the first not good in the Bible. Maybe you've heard of it. It's not good that man should be alone. And all the fathers said, hey, thank you, Jesus. That's good. Relationship. So the last category is relationship. Today, we'd probably like to lean into in the Q&A. Of course, it's a free country. You can ask whatever you'd like. But to lean into relationship dynamics, maybe family life, friendship, uh, marriage, raising kids. Uh, Chelsea and I haven't been doing all these things a long time, but been married 18 years and uh, been raising kids coming up on 14 years. And uh, we're on a huge learning curve. And if you're not on a learning curve when you get teenagers, um, you are unaware that you are on a learning curve. Um, so our life is changing very fast, but we'd love to share a little, bit, a little bit of that with you. And I hope that the dynamics end up being somewhat, the takeaway is a lot like growing up. Um, I'm also aware that many people did not have the honor and the privilege or the blessing or opportunity to sit around a dinner table with, with, with your dad. And so we'd like to kind of lean into to that today. So I'm gonna ask Pastor Colby, not Colpster, Pastor Colby and Chelsea to join me. And um, you know, right now we could probably clap. That'd be, that'd be cool. <laughs> Colby, I love, I, I love the chair you get and the chair we get. I'm super sorry about that. That is just not okay. But I'm, I'm not going to trade, you know? <laughs> I feel bad, but I'm not going to trade. Comfortable. Love it. <laughs> is it it's awesome? great. I love the church kids. T-shirt, by the hero. way. Yeah. Be a hero. Yeah. I'll be a camp. I've you known are Col a hero. I've known Colby. We've known Colby since he was, is it, is it 11? 11 years old. And he's now 18 it is amazing <laughs> what God has done. Three, yeah, you're, you're a dad three times over. That is amazing. Good questions coming in. Keep texting them. By the way, I don't know what Philip Farrell is doing here today, but it is, listen to this, it's, it's his birthday. It's, of course, Father's Day, and his son was born at 4 a.m. Oh. Daughter! Did, did we say it wrong yesterday? It, Christy told me yesterday. it was it was a boy. It's a girl. What's her name? Oh, you don't have a name yet. Same with us. Remember, Zion was unnamed for like four days. Yeah, solid week. He was six weeks premature. Yeah. So caught us off guard. We have guard. a little bit of an excuse, yeah. but it's like could have prepared. We've uh, said it a lot since then, so, so we made up for it. Zion, like I, I love you. I can't believe you're here. Congratulations. Well, and happy birthday. By the way, you're so much older than me. Go ahead, Colby. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great questions coming in. Um, hello to every location, by the way, who will be watching this as well. Um, first question, how about this? What's one thing that you wish you knew in your 20s? One thing you wish you knew in your 20s? That is such a good question. And, I, and um, okay, we were actually having this conversation yesterday or two days ago on just about life and talking about soul and are we fulfilled and what brings fulfillment and satisfaction. And, oh, yeah. um, and I think in my 20s, I wish I would have known, you know, we all have goals and things that we want to attain. And for us, maybe it's, you know, obviously our kids, but 
particularly professional goals and success and thinking, man, if the church would reach this size or what it would feel like, you know, Judas had a best, why did I air quote a best-selling book? It really was a best-selling book. <laughs> Is it a fake? I mean, <laughs> it was real. I love our marriage, too. <laughs> what, are we, what are we doing, man? Happy Father's Day to me. <laughs> um, so, can, I, can I start over? Judah has had a best-selling book. And, um, you know, some of those things that you think are going to make you happy, I wish I would have known that none of those things actually brought any more happiness to life. They didn't bring any more fulfillment. There was a momentary, man, that feels nice. But I would say they hadn't made our lives any more fulfilling or any better. And I wish I would have known that in my 20s. I think it would have helped us to continue to always have the right goals in front of us, which really is our relationship with God, our relationship with our family, and then just doing whatever God tells us to do and leaving the results up to him instead of striving and feeling like I have to earn results for fulfillment. So, thanks. When I think of Chelsea, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so bad. I, 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 think, I think both Chelsea and I, if we're really honest, that, that is both of our answers. Um, I, uh, you know, I remember being a custodian here and listening to Bishop Jakes and, and listening to other preachers and you know, mowing the carpet or vacuuming the carpet here in this auditorium and, and thinking, you know, one day maybe I'll get to do this or that. And then um, you, you, you end up missing, uh, and I do, I miss those days. Uh, of solitude, it was a, it was a special days, and um, and that's why you know now why older parents whose kids are grown up, uh, they they find the new couple with the new child, and what do yeah. they do almost every time? Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Chelsea, look at her! Oh my gosh, she's so beautiful! I did it to your Charlie the other yeah, day. And yeah, if it's your if it's your kid, you're like, oh, thanks, cool, all right, good talk, see you guys. Like, why were they so obsessed with our kids? Because I think it's the human psyche going, oh my gosh, I we it went so fast. I yeah. wish I would have enjoyed it more. And um, yeah, I just would wish I would have uh, really leaned into to, to those days more. Love it. Marriage life. Um, one question came in. How do you handle your individual differences in a marriage? Well, I think Chelsea submits and yields. I think. Um, <laughs> That's great. Next question. Um, yeah, next question, Colby. You know, like, start. <laughs> It's Father's Day, am I right? Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. What I do got nothing after that. <laughs> um, first of all, I'd say Jude and I are we're very we had a very similar background, which I'm so grateful for in a lot of ways. But personality-wise, we're probably pretty different. Yeah. And I wish I could say we handled it all perfectly with a perfect plan, but I'd say we've more stumbled our way through the differences of gosh, Judah's super social, and so I had a season where I was trying to be super social to make him happy, but it ended up exhausting me and not being the best for me. Um, I love details, so Judah's had season where he's tried to love details with me, and that ended up frustrating him. So I think it's really trying to lean into one another's strengths and being excited about who he is and his strengths and who I am and my strengths and realizing God perfectly God made me exactly the way he wanted to make me. God made Judah exactly the way God wanted to make Judah. And so really celebrating those differences instead of, first of all, never competing against each other because that's just not fun. But I'd say we stumbled our way through it. Yeah, and I think we're still discovering our differences and learning how to celebrate them and not criticize them or question them. 
um, try to make each other like each other. Uh, yesterday or two days ago, uh, Chelsea got a text from someone and I saw her laboring over a response. And I looked at her and I started laughing. I was like, oh my word, you look like how I look. Though her body language was identical to my body language when I'm working on the details of church life. It's like, oh man, another meeting. Chelsea over one text was having the same, she's like, will you text back? I'm like, yeah. Text back. She's like, oh my word. I'm like, that's exhilarating to Most me. Most of the texts you ever receive are from me, by the way. <laughs> but um, they're, they're secretly from me. Super weird. Um, but even those little differences, we, we're just kind of discovering those again. It's like, oh yeah, texting like invigorates me. I love to just text a bunch of people. It, it's it sometimes paralyzing for Chelsea. And like taking those moments to go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And, uh, and it becomes a point of intimacy, actually. Your differences bring you more together if you learn to celebrate them. But 18 years in, we're still learning to do that for and sure. And I also think this, it's so crazy because what I fell in love about Judah was the things that he is, diff in the ways that he is different than I am. He's a risk taker. He's all these things. But it's crazy crazy 18 years in, those can easily be the things that frustrate me about him. But to realize, no, what I fell in love with was this man for who he is and because he's different than I am. And so just checking myself through the Holy Spirit to not try to change him to be like me so that there isn't that friction, but to really love him for who I fell in love with. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> in a healthy marriage... How often should a couple have sex? Let's go. <laughs> Weekly for us, it rhymes with nine. Um, I'm kidding. You know, it's like, Judith, don't do this. Uh, well, I think it's, I think it's, a, I think it's a wonderful thing. Um, uh, what would you say, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> I would say this. I I think it's definitely seasonal. When we were first married was different than when we first had like a, a, a newborn and a two-year-old and a four-year-old. That was different than it is now that we have some teenagers. Um, there are some benefits to teenagers and a better sex life is probably one of them. Um, so I would say it changes seasonally, but I think we always have to remember that sex is a gift that God gave us for intimacy in our marriage. And in so many ways, it feels like it just hits the reset button. You know when you're just getting annoyed at little things for no reason and it just, I don't, there's just some friction. I don't, sex to me is just a wonderful thing to just kind of hit the reset button, get priorities back in order. And so I think for as often as you need that, um, then that is between your marriage for us. I think because we live a fast, full life, it's a lot, but um, it's great. It is great, right? I mean, is that what you're saying? Or <laughs> um, I, I, I would say this. I think sex is a, uh, can be a, a weapon, obviously, for evil, but it can be a weapon for good. And uh, sex is an amazing way to fight the good fight of faith. And uh, whether it's temptation or whether it's just a busy season, you feel like you're apart. And so um, there are absolute seasons where Chelsea and I are like, hey, we need to have more sex now than ever, and um, that is uh, that is something I feel very strongly about in most seasons. Um, can't remember a season where I haven't felt like that, but that's not important. <laughs> can I can I add this to the, the equation? I was too? saying that I was like, wait, wait I a second, feel that's every season. Like that all the time. Congrats. <laughs> um, that 
I, we feel in our marriage, and I think this is biblical too, that we should never withhold sex as a means for manipulation, that that will never get you anywhere you want to go in your marriage. And if you find yourself trying to do that, you are on a probably a slippery path to a lack of intimacy when really what we all want in marriage is intimacy and sex. So that's never a good thing to withhold sex to get what you want. Yeah, and in Scripture, it's very clear that if there is a season where you kind of want to pray and study and, and kind of not have sex, the, the, the teachings of Scripture are clear, like, don't do that for very long. Like, get back together so that the devil doesn't, you know, have the best of you. And so uh, that is, that's just, you know, black and white. It's, it's in Scripture. So, How do you know when you're ready to be a dad? Good Father's Day question. <laughs> <laughs> One clap. One you know? clap. <laughs> My man. <laughs> Obviously not a very good answer. Right, right, right. Uh, what was the next question? How do you know when you're ready to be a dad? Oh, gosh. If you're ready to be a dad, you're definitely not ready to be a dad. <laughs> you know what I mean? You ever met the guys like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm so ready to get married. And you're like, ah man. Um, yeah, if you're running around like, dude, I'm so ready to be a dad. Once, once you become a dad, you're like, oh, you know, I'm not ready. And, that, and that's the beauty of uh, trusting Jesus. And for us, the advantage we have of saying, God, I trust you. Um, you know, first baby, second baby, third baby, Colby, recently just your third child. It's like, you know, now you're going from man to man to zone defense, you know, that whole thing. And it's like, oh, wow, this is, uh, this is a lot. And then, and then you're like, okay, I'm getting the hang of this. And then puberty starts, uh, which is where we're at. And you're like, wait, who, I'm so, who are you? You know, and why are you making those sounds? Um, so it's, uh, it's a continual trust. And then, like, if you're like me, because I'm loud, I often have wondered, like, uh, you know, I, we've been to conferences and conventions and, and summits and, and talks, and you hear people talk about parenting and not raising your voice, and I'm like, I've lost. I've scarred them forever. Um, <laughs> and there's that part of trusting, too, where it's like, have I, have I scarred my children? I guess the answer generally is probably like all of us have to an extent, um, but you're trying to minimize that by the grace of God. And so um, I, I think, you know, the reason we're here today is because we believe, you know, in, in community. And whether you're a believer in Jesus, uh, you know, I think the fact that you're in this room believe that we need each other. We need relationship. And uh, when it comes to parenting, it does take a village. It yes. takes a community. I believe in that. I think of your life, Colby, coming here at 11 years old and, and uh, just the community coming around your family and you and to see um, community help the parenting process is obviously exhilarating to me. Yeah, I think I, in everything we've done in life, parenting is the hardest, most challenging a thing that we feel the most underqualified to do. But I love that because that makes us dependent on God, on the Holy Spirit, and on each other as, as a husband and wife, as a community. I know there's so many single parents here that you need uh, people alongside of you to help you. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think so often we think that the goal in life is to get to a place where I've got it and I don't need any help. But that's never God's goal for us. God's goal for our lives is that we would always be dependent on him and that we would always be dependent on each other. So that's not a bad place to be in parenting. And, and can I just say the... the yeah, that's very clappable. Oh, thanks. Um, I got more claps than you did. <laughs> I thought <laughs> we're not we're supposed competing. to compete. <laughs> One of the favorite things my dad ever did, and this is going to sound funny, is ask for forgiveness to my sister and I. 
um, at any age. I can remember at every single age, my dad saying, hey, Wendy, Judah, that was wrong. Will you forgive me? And um, that still sticks with me today. And if I could encourage you to do anything as a dad on Father's Day is when you do toe the line or, or cross the line with your kids, that you just own up to it. Same day, same few minutes if you can, by the grace of God, and just say, you know, kids, will, will, will you forgive me? And it's, it's amazing how that has bonded me with my children and also an incredible example of humility and, and following Jesus. Yeah, I was reading in a leadership book that you're never going to lose credibility for making a mistake, but you will lose credibility for not owning the mistake that you made. And I'm sure the same is true in parenting. Your kids don't expect perfection of you, but if we own our mistakes, that can actually gain trust with our kids instead of losing it. Like the USGA at the US Open, then you don't. Anyways, I'm sorry, go ahead. So okay, it's golf. Incredible. Kind of along those lines, um, how would you define and describe spiritual leadership? in the home. Pastor Wendell, obviously, and you, just this idea of spiritual leadership in the home. First of all, I, can I say this as a, as a woman? I know Judah joked about me submitting, which is funny. I think we have a very beautiful give and take relationship um, as far as who's in charge for what. But without a doubt, God's plan for the home is for the husband to be the head, to be the spiritual head of the home. And that doesn't mean he is always in charge and he has the final word on everything. But for me, when we, when we did our... <laughs> you didn't I like loved that? it up to that point, you know? <laughs> it's not how you function. But for me, when, when he and I did our wedding vows, and I love the traditional wedding vows, when I said to him, and there too, I pledge you my faith, that's when I got the most emotional at our wedding because I realized... As a man, I am putting my faith in you that you are going to lead our home and you're going to lead it well and that I am trusting you to be the spiritual head of our home. And so I really do believe that is God's plan and order for the family. It doesn't mean that anybody has any less value. Um, Just because Judah and I are the leaders of this, this church community, it doesn't mean we're any more valuable than anybody else. It's just the way God set it up, the same way in the family. It doesn't doesn't speak to value, it just speaks to role. So I will let you answer that question since. What was interesting at Pastor Don's uh, memorial service, which was I- incredible, and, and Aunt Marlene is sitting here, and, and a couple of the sons are here today. Um, it was, I think, everyone's favorite part of the memorial service uh, was probably two parts. Uh, the four sons talking about their dad, and then Aunt Marlene saying, I have one regret, not holding his hand more, telling him I love him more. And we all, everyone in the auditorium, like, grabbed each other's hands, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I love you. Um, but to hear the four sons of Pastor Don Ostrom um, all reference what they saw, not just what they heard their dad say, but they saw him reading the Bible. They saw him praying, and um, I did too. I saw my dad. We, we traveled, uh, I think, to every state in the United States of America, my dad preaching other than North and South Dakota, I think, if I got that right. And every hotel room we were in, uh, my dad wasn't trying to put on a show. He would, he, my dad loved to traditionally get on his knees at the side of his bed and pray for at least an hour. And I saw my dad making God most important. And um, that was far more powerful than all the sermons I heard my dad preach. And so I think um, spirituality cannot be a demonstration. It can't be this uh, thing we do. It has to be who who we are. And I think uh, being spiritual is not just on your knees. I don't don't like to get on my knees. I like to go walk sometimes or mix it up because I'm easily distracted. But um, spirituality is displayed in moments like asking for forgiveness in how I treat this 
amazing woman. Um, and so uh, I think there's a number of different ways, but I, I can't help but reference Pastor Don and my dad mm-hmm. who exemplified that by taking time to read or, or pray or listen and be, and be caring. So um, it's got to be, I think, much more than just um, attending a church service. It's got to be in the life that we live. And by the way, I personally find the sexiest thing you do. Let's go is when, you are, when, you're, when you're leading our family spiritually, and, and I know you preach every week, but you, you lead our family, and it is so sexy, it's so attractive. And to me, that, that brings so much security as you being the head of the home to realize that, yes, you're the head, but you come under God and you listen to God. And knowing that brings so much peace and security, I think, for all of us as your family. So thank you for doing that so well. Thank and you. being sexy. Yeah. Happy Father's Day. Come on. <laughs> hey, we've got some single people across Ooh. all locations and some questions coming in. Like, hey, what about us? Um, <laughs> question, if you're single and looking for a spouse, where do you start? ChristianMingle.com. They're a sponsor. <laughs> you know, I start doing that. <laughs> I'm kidding. Which, uh, <laughs> I, we are not opposed yeah. to... Uh, meeting meeting online at all. And I think the stigma has to just go. Technology can be negative, but technology can be positive as well. So we, we encourage a lot of our single friends like, hey, uh, register these different, you know, uh, websites that are appropriate and, 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 you know, reach out. But where do you start? Sorry. Um, wow, where do you start? I'm sure we've all already started. So gosh, but great places to m- meet people. I think, gosh, and this is going to sound like a plug to be a hero, but um, volunteering in church is so a pretty amazing way to find somebody because you're going to find somebody who's really like-minded. And, and guys, like I said, it's pretty sexy to see a man leading spiritually. So if you want to look sexy, just come door greet and, um, and you will be very attractive. So that's a great place to start. Great place to start. And I think we have got to own uh, the unique Christian community dynamic that's affecting the dating experience. It, it is yeah. affecting it, and, and sometimes not always positively. And that is, we, we all have to be a, a little bit more spiritual, I think, and grown up about the dating process. And that is that one date does not mean um, this, someone is being asked, will you marry me? And I think because we are, as communities of faith, oriented around marriage, the ultimate goal of dating is marriage, as it should be, right? It's supposed to be preparation for marriage. But, but dating has become synonymous with marriage now. Like if you take one person out on a date, you know, the, the, the 22 people in the social circle are now, you've put them together for life. And that's just too much pressure to put on a young man or a young woman. And I think we have to kind of change that a little bit in community, that if someone goes on a date, we like respect them and go, that's so cool. And we're not immediately got them down an aisle and, and in a tuxedo or, or a dress. It's like, hey, they went to Starbucks or they had a nice meal together. They're getting to know each other. And we, I think we need to do a little better job of respect respecting single adults who are doing their best to do dating the right way. Um, we could spend all the time in the world talking about, you know, the responsibility uh, of each person involved in the dating process and all that. But I think as a community, we could do a little bit better job at respecting like, hey, it's one date. We could all pump the brakes a little bit and let it breathe and let that <clears throat> let those individuals kind of process and not spread it through the church so fast that the, the fear is if I date someone in church 
and it doesn't go well, meaning we just don't like each other or we don't, we don't vibe, uh, the rumor is going to be that I'm mean or can you believe that he or she did this, that, and the other. And, and, and that's why a lot of people are like, hey, I'm on a date, but it's not going to be in church because in church you get, you get, you get barbecued for um, uh, uh, not going on another date. <laughs> Which I think is sad because church should be one of the best places to meet like-minded individuals. But the, the scary thing is that if you date within the church and then you end up not dating, it doesn't work out, you still have to be in church together. And I think that could be scary, but I think the benefit of that is that can give you some really healthy boundaries while you're dating. In other words, your physical boundaries. If you go too far physically and then it ends up not working out, and you're still, you know, across the aisle from each other worshiping, that's going to create some awkwardness. And so the goal of dating is to date so that if it doesn't work out, you haven't, the Bible uses the word defraud, you haven't robbed somebody of something that it's going to be awkward for you to stay in community together afterwards. So good. So good. (laughs) The golf clap. (laughs) Um, if I'm a teenager, how do I handle doubting, or really any age, but um, doubting the realness of God, the reality of God? I think you're in a really good place if at a, in a teenage um, season and you're already having that experience. I think that's a really noble thing. I think it's a healthy thing. I think throughout Scripture, we see uh, a lot of doubt. Now, living in a permanent state of doubt is probably not optimal, um, but there are going to be seasons. There are going to be moments. Uh, I remember uh, junior high camp. I, I was a junior hire, Twin Rocks, Portland, Oregon, Oregon Coast, and I had my you know, eighth grade, wait a minute, what if all of this isn't real? What if I just took my dad at face value and mom and what they said, and do I actually know God? Do I believe in God? And that was a very formative time, powerful time, where I was like, well, I'm going to see for myself. And so uh, doubt becomes a problem when we, when I think, when we think it's a problem. When you're like, oh my, or I'm, I'm doubting, oh my word, I'm doubting. And, and now the focus is doubt as opposed to, you know what, I'm going to use this doubt to pursue, to see if in fact God is real. And what I love about God throughout this book is that when people are like, all right, show me that you're God. He always is yeah. faithful and always true. Does it in a multiplicity of ways. So be encouraged is what I would say. And I think, yeah, be encouraged, but also don't keep it to yourself. Yeah. Because that's where the devil, who the Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren, he will come in and try to bring shame, try to be like, see, you're not a real follower of Jesus because you have this doubt. And so I'd say you, you can't keep it to yourself. First of all, talk to your parents about it. Parents, when your kids come yeah. and talk to you about that, you don't gasp, you don't overreact, you just really calmly stop, listen, ask the Holy Spirit. But uh, teenagers, we have one of the world's greatest youth ministries on the planet, if I can just, I feel like I'm making church plugs, but um, we were so grateful that we grew up in church, and not just because the church services were amazing, but because when I was 16, there were 20-year-olds who loved Jesus, who were willing to speak into my life, who I could ask those questions to, and we have that here at Church Home. Every every student has a small group leader who is willing to speak into our students' lives to, re- to reiterate what you're saying as parents. And so we need to make sure that we're taking advantage of that and talking to those individuals who, you know, when you're, 
we feel so young, but we're not young anymore. We went through these things, you know, like 25 years ago. But for our Zion to have a 20-year-old to talk to who just went through these things four years ago, that speaks so much more to him than our even conversation does. And so that relationship is so important that our students really connect with their small group leaders. And parents, if I can just encourage us, I know it's some extra driving. I know it's some extra effort, but it is so worth it to foster those relationships that our teenagers have with those amazing young adults. It's amazing. Um, a lot of questions on forgiveness coming in, uh, one of which, how do I handle or how do I get the courage to ask forgiveness in a situation? Well, first of all, um, it, it, has, it has to be said that there are many people, no doubt, in this room who have experienced uh, horrific things, um, uh, abuse, for instance, of any kind. And um, Chelsea and I have to own up to the fact that by the grace of God and, um, you know, we, we were born in the families we were born into and, and given in many ways a head start. And so I want to say before we even lean into this, um, it is, in a sense, easy for me to say, easy for Chelsea to say, hey, just forgive that person. I can only imagine um, what people have gone through in this room and those, and those watching right now. It would be easy for a preacher, pastor like me, <clears throat> with what looks like an ideal life, hey, easy for you to say forgive. So um, I want to be very intentional and careful. Yeah. And, and um, I, I do want to say that, that any person who has experienced abuse of any kind, um, it is not your fault. You are loved. Um, you are extraordinary. And the fact that you are sitting watching this or in the room right now um, is extraordinary and heroic, if I can say. Um, now, as we talk about forgiveness, um, the, the truth of Jesus' teachings um, remain. And that is that um, forgiveness uh, might be the greatest superpower of all kind, of all mm -hmm. time. Um, I read a, an interview recently in a magazine and, and, and it was about all the superhero movies. And, and one of the questions was, what, if you could have one superhero, what would it be? And this older gentleman in Hollywood said, forgiveness. And the interviewer said, well, I don't know if that's a super, super uh, power. And he goes, mm -hmm. oh, it is. And um, He's right, but, but I want us to remember, for those that follow Jesus, the impetus for our forgiveness is what? Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. In other words, Jesus forgave us. And I wanna say this, and I'll, I'll let, let Chelsea talk, which will be much more clear and succinct, but um, Jesus hanging on the cross, remember what he says? Seven statements as he hangs there for six hours, suffocating in his own blood and his lungs. He says, Father, forgive them, Listen to what he says. They don't know what they're doing. They, they sure knew where to put the nails. They sure put the cross together. They, 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 they put your title over your head. What do you mean they don't know what they're doing? I think two things is, is what Jesus is saying. Number one, they don't actually understand the spiritual implications of what they're doing. They actually don't understand. And, and number two, uh, love believes the best. Love speaks the best. And I know this sounds astronomical, but I think when, when, when hurt people hurt people, because that's what they do, I don't think we totally know what we're doing. And love says, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They actually don't really know what they're doing. They're overcome with rage or they're overcome with lust or they're overcome with, they actually don't know what they're doing. I release them. And what's amazing about forgiveness, you're not just releasing the person you're forgiving. Oh, you're releasing yourself. And um, it's beautiful. 
forgiveness really will change you and release you far more than the person you're forgiving. But I love that question because it said, where do I get the courage to forgive? Because it is so courageous to let go of something that has been hurting you, something that was done to you. Maybe you were a victim and you did not deserve it at all, or maybe you kind of did we never deserve pain, but maybe you're in a volatile relationship. And for whatever reason, it requires courage to forgive. And to me, yes, Jesus is an example of forgiveness, but it's like, okay, he was the God man. I'm not God, so what do I do? I love the story of Stephen in the Bible in, in, the, in the beginning of Acts. Stephen is a man, he's preaching Jesus. He is just trying to help people. And the people didn't like the message he was preaching. These days, thank God, you can just get up and walk out. Those days when they didn't like what he was preaching, the religious leaders of the time began to stone him to death to where he eventually died. But what I think is so crazy about stoning is that it's people standing 10 feet away hurling rocks at your body and at your head as hard as they can with the intent to hurt you and do you harm. And here's Stephen, he's just trying to help people, and all of a sudden there's this mob that are hurling rocks at him and who are trying to kill him and eventually do kill him. And we can read in the story of Stephen that he too said, Father, forgive these people. I ask that you would not let this come upon their head, but that they would be forgiven. But I think the key is with Stephen in that moment of what I see as some of the most amazing forgiveness in the Bible from a human is he says, the heavens were open. He looked up and he saw Jesus. And I believe that the only way we can find the courage to forgive is to not look at ourselves, to not look at the people who have hurt us or are continually hurting us in that moment, but is to look up into heaven and to see Jesus and to see how much he loves us and how much he has forgiven us. And that is the place that we'll find the courage to forgive. And, and can I say one other thing about forgiveness? It's one of my favorite things I like to talk about. When Jesus says that you forgive somebody 70 times 7, I don't think he meant that you're going to have to forgive somebody 490 times. If you're in an abusive situation, you need to get out of it. Don't stay in that place. And we believe that God's going to give you courage to, to do that. So you're not staying in a place where you're getting hurt over and over and over again. But so often for one offense, it requires forgiveness every day. And so I believe sometimes you're going to have to wake up and you forgive. And you, you let it go and you release it and you forgive. And then the next day circumstance is happening and you forgive again. You know, when your parents get divorced, it hurts and you have to forgive in that moment. But I think when your wedding comes around and there's all the dynamics that are taking place because of your parents' divorce, you're going to have to forgive again. And so I believe that we don't have to worry about in this moment, I have to forgive for a lifetime. No, we just say in this moment, I'm going to forgive for today. And we forgive for today, and we do it again and again and again, and we make that choice, and then eventually it will be released and not be part of who we are. Amazing. Beautiful. I think we have time. We'll do one more um, and end it with this one. What's the key to managing a busy schedule with kids, work, church, sports, all of it? How do you manage a, a full schedule? Well, I mean, personally, um, it is relationships that I have to, to check in. How do you think I'm doing? Um, I don't think I would be here today if it wasn't for Leon Sandberg in terms of his um, mentorship. Uh, he is, uh, you know, serves on our board, but also like a father figure. Sorry, Leon. I don't mean to make you sound old um, <laughs> because he's very handsome and he's from Minnesota. But um, 
Leon is, he's kind of become, as you know, Colby, kind of the, the soul pastor on our team, you know, checking in with everybody, how's your soul? Well, he started doing that nine years ago when we stepped into leadership. Um, and at times making, Chelsea and I go, you know, get away. Um, you, you need to go rest and, and build in margin. So I just want to say right off the top, having key relationships in your life, pursuing those relationships, saying, hey, will you help me if you see that I'm not, I don't got this going right, not enough margin, or I'm not uh, living within the tension that maybe we see in Scripture. But um, I, I love what Pastor Brian Houston says as well. Um, he, he doesn't actually subscribe to balancing, uh, as, a, as a pastor, church life and home life. Um, it, it, like he's constantly, they're, 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 whatever we're doing, we're doing it all in, all together. And that was how the Smith family was run growing up. It's like if Wendy's going to do pageants, beauty pageants, we all did beauty pageants. We were all in, and that really happened. If I was going to play ball, the whole family was there. I played Issaquah High School football. My dad got the hat. My mom kept the score, did the scoreboard. Like we were all in on what we do. And so when it comes to the Smith household to this day, whatever we do, we're all going to do it, and we're going to be all in. And there, this idea of balance or, or managing that, um, I think, can get a little exasperating and exhausting. For us, it's just being all in in the moment that's in front of us and the day that God's given us. And uh, honestly, in this day and age, I, I, we, we, do, we do plenty of planning, but I don't know how people make it without the daily guidance of Jesus just to live the day that you have in front of you. And um, that would be uh, my, my encouragement. Yeah, it's funny. The first thing that came to my mind was a similar answer when you were talking about Leon, is that I'm so grateful that we have a board of elders here at Church Home that take care of our church, but also who Judah and I submit our schedule to, our life, our decisions. Now, we don't submit like the kids' softball schedule, but, but they, part of the job of the board here is to oversee our schedule and making sure we're okay. And I know that we don't not everybody has a board, but I think everybody can have somebody that you allow to speak into your life that maybe you're one sport too many, or who is that person who can tell you, hey, you know what, you're spreading yourself too thin and it's starting to wear on your marriage, that we can all have somebody who can speak that into our lives to keep us in check and to keep us in balance and to make sure that we're doing okay in life. And I think the, the last thought, um, I totally lost. So, can I can I jump in? Sure. I think it was the, I think it was the Lord. Yeah. Uh, so I could jump just, in. Just, um, you really had it. It was just <laughs> kidding, uh, kind of. But um, I, uh, I I think I love the story of Jesus, and it's it's not often, but 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 the Greeks, if I can say it like you know the the, the Greek contingency comes to see Jesus. And, and tells a couple of the disciples, they go together and they go, hey, Jesus, the, some, some Greek people are here. They want to see you. And he goes, no. And you're like, whoa, 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 what? Like, you're here to save people. You can't cancel meetings or, or say no to people. But Jesus was giving us an extraordinary example. Why is that story in there? It shows the purpose and passion and single-mindedness of the Savior to go to the cross, yes. But it also shows us a very important component in, in, in adding margin and rest in our life. And that is there are times, even as a pastor, you have to say no to people you love. And you just have to say no. And um, you, the, the delineation I love to make is what's temporary, what's eternal. What's temporary, what's eternal. Don't take this personally, but being the lead pastor of church home is temporal. 
That's temporal for me. This is, a, this is an office that I hold temporarily. What's eternal is our relationships. What's eternal is this woman. What's eternal are my babies. What's eternal is friendship and relationship, like I said. And so making those delineations at times, when, it, when you know, you're in a rock and a hard place and you're like, what should I do, what should I not do? Sometimes you can say, I'm gonna choose the eternal and not the temporal. And so preaching at church home as the lead pastor um, is, is, is temporal. Building relationships, loving, caring is eternal. And I want to thank Leon and the board for helping us oftentimes make that delineation. But again, I want to remind you what we said earlier uh, around the Garden of Eden. There is a necessary now. It's built into the original environment that you could, and some would argue that you should, but you say no. And you know what's, what's, what's difficult is the no. Nobody's ever going to understand your no. You think the Greeks walked away going, oh, I really like that guy. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense why he canceled our meeting or wouldn't see us. No, they walked away going, He's the Messiah? Yeah, right. He won't even talk to us. So you're going to be misunderstood. But of course, it's a, it's a price that's worth paying so that you can protect what's eternal. Yeah. And thank you for saying that, which reminded me of what my last thought was. Sorry, mom. Man, brain. we're a good tandem, huh? <laughs> so good. I tell you what. Um, that I, we need to make sure there was work in the Garden of Eden, and God's ultimate environment is work. So work is not a curse. But if, when we see that once Adam sinned and God's judgment came down, what changed? Striving. All of a sudden, Adam and Eve went from working to striving. And God's plan is never for us to strive. And if I can just be really honest, if you feel like you're packing your schedule, your family schedule so full because you're striving to find an identity for your kids in sports or an identity for yourself in success, that's not going to lead to the healthy schedule and family that you want. So I think sometimes we need to have honest thoughts and conversations with ourselves of why am I doing this? Why am I doing all these things? Am I trying to get my identity out of this or is my identity rooted in God and then everything I do is just an overflow and a joy because I love working in that responsibility. So I think um, that self-check is very helpful. And if I could conclude um, like this, um, <clears throat> I think I'll go ahead and close, babe. Um, We're so bad. So, I'm so, you brought a friend today and they're like, what, what is this church, bro? Um, I, I, what I love about Jesus, and we'll conclude here and, and maybe give an opportunity for anyone who'd like to uh, begin the journey of following Jesus today, um, Jesus provides this new way to be alive and a new way to be, be human. And uh, one of the big ideas behind the transformative power of Jesus Christ, behold, I make all things new, Jesus says. Um, he's come that we might have life and life more abundantly. Part of the abundant life and the new life is this fear-free, anxiety-free, stress-free. Now, does that mean all Christians are fear-free, anxiety-free? Stress no, but we have the opportunity to be. We don't have to live under this constant striving, comparison, competitive, keeping up with the billions of Joneses in the world now via social media. That's actually not the way of Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul, rest in the deepest part of who you are. And I don't mean this as a slight by, by any means, but I can't imagine life, this life, this fast 
pace, competitive, comparing marketplace, world, social experience that technology has advanced. I can't imagine living in 2018 without rest for my soul from Jesus. I mean, at the end of the day, amen. At the end of the day, Chelsea and I are just a, a couple doing our best, you know, to manage family life and professional life and all those things. But the, the distinguisher, the difference maker, is always Jesus. It's what, it's what has saved this home time and time again. And I love how the Message Bible says, are you weary? Are you worn out? Are you tired of religion? Are you tired of tradition? Are you tired of formalities? Are you tired of going through the motion? Come to me, Jesus says, and I'll show you how to take a real rest. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. The teachings of Jesus are not go to church, dress like, dress the right way, smell the right way, and don't cuss, and don't smoke, and don't chew. No, tradition, religion, customs. Jesus says, are you broken? Are you weary? Are you exhausted? Are you tired? Are you worn out, burned out? Come to me, and I'll give you purpose. I'll show you who you really are. I'll redeem you. I will pay the ultimate price for your, your error, your wrong, and your sin. And my favorite scripture in the whole Bible is he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, which means our soul now can be reconnected to the one who designed us and created us in the first place. And that's where your soul finally exhales. That's where your soul is finally reconnected in the arms of God and says, hey, no matter what happens in this life, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. He's inside of me. He's upon me. And that's why Christians aren't different in terms of what we go through. It's how we go through it. It's how we go through it, and we go through it in the arms of Jesus. And he's the difference maker. Not what we wear, not how we smell, not even necessarily how we speak. It is the person of Jesus. It is the goodness of Jesus. It is the grace of Jesus that has changed our life. And so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering today if maybe there's individuals here who would like to make that decision. We'd like to give you that opportunity. And so what I'm going to ask in this moment is if we would just close our eyes just for a moment of privacy and whether you're here in the building or at another location or, or, or even watching online, we want to give you this opportunity to make this decision today. For the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes or receives him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If you want that eternal life that only Jesus offers, if you want the forgiveness that only Jesus offers, and you want to have a right relationship with him forever and ever without end, I'm going to ask you to respond in this moment. In fact, I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, if you'd like to receive Jesus, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand and put it right back down. Say this nearly every time we gather as a community. The reason I ask you to do that is I believe when you respond on the outside to what's happening on the inside, it just makes it more real to you. You know who you are? I, I don't believe it's an accident. You're here today on Father's Day. God loves you so much. If you'd like to make that decision, I'll count to three, and you can shoot your hand up and put it right back down. One, two, three. If that's you, would you put your hand up and say, I'd like to make that decision. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amazing, amazing, amazing. 
Just lift up your hand, put it right back down. God, thank you for every single hand raised in this building. Well, we know it represents an eternal soul that is now forgiven, covered, and connected to you forever and ever without end. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We thank you for what you're doing in our church. And Lord, today I pray a special blessing over the fathers in this community. I pray a blessing over spiritual fathers, those that may not even have natural children, but they, they act as fathers in the community, caring and, and loving and directing and leading. Father, I pray a blessing over the fathers of church home. Father, I pray you'd grant them the desires of their heart, continue to give them the courage to lead wherever they lead and lead in their homes. God, I thank you, Lord, for fulfillment and contentment and rest and peace for every father in church home. We declare you are blessed, and what God is blessed, no man can curse, and we thank you for that today. Bless our homes, bless our families, and we thank you, God, we can look forward to what is ahead, for you have good things in store for us in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Would you say amen with me? Amen. If you're physically able or willing, would you stand with us, and let's join the band now, and let's sing out to Jesus this morning.